was just praying about this Sunday uh, several several days ago now, maybe a few weeks ago really, just saying, well, God, what do you want us to be focusing on today? And I felt a real stirring actually to to try and keep refreshing us in the the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Which is amazing really because I then found out only a few days ago that today is of course Pentecost Sunday. So I thought that was kind of neat. I thought that was a, that's a lucky coincidence, I thought. And uh, actually I do believe it's God actually. And, uh, uh, and I felt so much to stir, to stir us again, to keep stirring us uh, in the work and the person of the Spirit. And my scripture today is from 1 Corinthians 6. I wonder if we can bring that up. Uh, is that up there? Uh, yeah. Oh, there we go. There's Paul. And there's a scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It's only a little scripture so we can all join in. So let's all read the scripture, shall we? Here we go. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? One short scripture. This is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, a church which had many people coming into it and many people coming in with difficult backgrounds and stuff they needed to sort through. And Paul's saying, look, you, you personally are the temple of God. The Spirit is in you. You are his house, which back then was an incredibly radical thing to say that you are a house for God. And I guess I'm afraid sometimes that, that we can kind of take that for granted in our day, that we can lose the wonder of what it means to personally be a house for God. And so this morning I want to try and refresh us in that again and, and kind of raise our expectations for more of his spirit to be active among us. Steve's prophetic word earlier is so on the line in so many ways, but also it's on the line in terms of what God is wanting to bring us through as a church that is full of the spirit. So I wanted to go that way. So I'm going to just pray and ask the Spirit to help us to grasp these things deep in our hearts, not just with our minds. Father, we thank you so much that you are here and we can taste your love and you can stir us to the prophetic. And we receive that word that there is a prophetic explosion on the way and the temperature is going up and the pot will overflow. So, Father, I pray even now by your Holy Spirit, brood upon us and speak to us, we pray, about how each one of us individually is a temple, a house for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Each one of us is a house for God. And I want to just come at this from a slightly odd angle. I actually want to start by showing you some photos, actually. Photos of people who win a prize. And I love looking at photos of people who win prizes because the expressions on their faces is such a laugh sometimes, and those around them as well. I mean, here's one couple who've uh, won the prize. I guess each is thinking, I've won the prize. Uh, I don't know how many of you would have stayed up last night to watch it. Did you? A few hands going up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. All right. Five minutes in, I went to bed. Um, but anyway, I'm sure they feel like they've won the prize. Here's another clip. Here's this lady. She's obviously won the prize. The ladies around her are clapping and pretending to be happy for her, uh, wishing that they had won the prize, but she's won the prize. I love this guy here with the cornflakes. He's obviously won the prize. He's so exuberant, so full of it. One of my favorite ones is this guy here. I mean, he has won the prize. I mean, he is the man, and uh, he knows he's won the prize, and everybody envies him. 
probably my most favourite for this morning is this one here. Because there are a few ladies here at least who have definitely won the prize. Well, there's one guy who hasn't won the prize. <laughs> I just love his face. He's kind of stepping back, sitting backwards, kind of observing from a distance. Obviously, he's in the outer circle. He hasn't won the prize. Anybody ever felt like this guy before? Someone else gets picked? Yeah, yeah. Someone else gets chosen. Someone else wins the prize. And you're kind of left out of the circle. Thing is, as I look at this guy, I can't help thinking, actually, in a funny kind of way, of the average Old Testament Hebrew, Jew. In this sense, that as you read the Old Testament scriptures, you do sense a certain selectivity, all right? A certain selectivity where the favor of God, the anointing of God seems to come and rest on a very few chosen individuals. Now, whether it's people like Joseph or Samson or Deborah or Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah. Throughout the centuries, it seems that there's just a handful of individuals that God comes upon with his Holy Spirit. I mean, Samson is the obvious one. It says in Judges 15, it says of Samson, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And then it says he got the jawbone of an ass and he kills a thousand men. As you do, as you do. Uh, I can't even imagine what it looks like to take a jawbone of an ass and wipe out a thousand men. Uh, I don't know how many here have done that before, but I sense probably not many. But that was Samson. And it's almost like every few years, God puts his spirit on a particular person and they make a huge impact on the people around them. Which must have been amazing for that person concerned, you know, to have the spirit of God come upon you, the sense of, of privilege of being chosen by God to have God himself come upon me. It must have been huge. But of course, for everyone else who didn't have that happen, who didn't know what it was for the Spirit to come upon them, I wonder if they didn't feel a bit like this guy here on the screen. You know? What about me? Why not me? Why, why, why them? You see, for the average Jew back then, if you wanted to get anywhere near God, you'd have to get on your donkey and you'd have to ride days to Jerusalem. And once you got to Jerusalem, you'd have to fight through the crowd and work your way up to where the temple is on the top of the hill. And then you'd have to go through the outer gates into the outer court and then, and then you'd be stopped because you couldn't go any further. You weren't able, you weren't allowed to come near God. And so for you, God would, would somehow always seem untouchable and, and remote and, and, and far away. That's how it was. And that's how it was for century after century until, until the new covenant. Until, until the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 where there is suddenly a massive radical change in world history. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, not just on one or two, but the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of God's people. And on that day, the prophecy explains what happens. Uh, the prophecy from Joel simply says this, And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit 
on all people, then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, women and men, and they will prophesy. In other words, suddenly for the first time in history, the Spirit is poured out on everyone from every age, male and female, whatever your occupation was, even if it was the lowest occupation, the Spirit would come. That's the promise. God's no longer remote. He's here. That's the point. And that's the point I'm trying to make. The presence of the Holy Spirit, Wairua Tapu, is our inheritance now, all right? As much as as God is your father, as much as Jesus is your savior, you are a house of God now for the spirit. It's your entitlement, your entitlement. Or Peter says in Acts chapter 2, the promise of the spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Hallelujah. And so you've got to understand something because the church often forgets this, all right? Christianity, by nature, by definition, all right, by definition is an experiential faith. It's not just a theory or an idea or even just a teaching or a tradition. The tragedy is that it's often just become that. But that's not the way it was always intended to be in the New Testament. It is an experiential faith. It's life-giving, it's refreshing, it's about tasting and touching God. That's what Christianity is about. The first time that ever really came home to me many years ago, I remember doing an Alpha, actually, an Alpha course. I was teaching an Alpha course, and we had our Holy Spirit Day. And I still remember this, this prim and proper man, a CEO, pinstripe suit, gruff, hadn't met with God yet, didn't believe, or hadn't given his life to the Lord yet. And on that Holy Spirit day, I still remember him, and the power of God hit the guy, and his hands are waving around like this, and his suit all ruffled, and his hands were, and I remember him through gritted teeth saying to me, what is happening to me? (laughs) And it was so wonderful to say, well, that's God, actually. Are you going to receive him? And he did, and gave his life to the Lord. Experiential, experiential. Christianity is an experience with God. It's the Holy Spirit who brings that experience. Wonderful. And you need to just glance at the New Testament to see this again and again and again. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, you will receive power, not a tradition, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's experience. Romans 5.5, Paul says, it's the Spirit who pours God's love into our hearts. Again, that's not a theory or intellectual agreement. That is power. That's transformation. I still remember as a young pastor many years ago now, pastoring my first church or in leadership in my first church, and um, I was a very unhappy man, actually, back then. And uh, one of the reasons why I was so unhappy was because I didn't like people. Which, if you're pastoring, is a problem, just to say that. I didn't like people. And they'd come every Sunday, I'd be going, oh, they're there again, you know, people would come. (laughs) I didn't like people. And uh, it got to me to the point where I remember crying out to God saying, God, I need help, either change my job or do something in me. And I still remember the moment when God met with me. And it was like, I remember seeing a vision or a picture of a jug 
being poured out over me and I felt the Spirit fill me in such a remarkable way. I remember falling onto my knees. I remember lying down on the floor. I didn't know what it was, but I felt this wash, this the stream flowing into me. And then I remember getting up off the ground and thinking, what was that about? And then the next day it dawned on me that I really loved the folks. I really loved people, which was good for them and for me. And actually it's never really gone. That is life change, by the way. God changed me. God changed me wasn't a teaching or a theory, it was an encounter. Again, the Holy Spirit so practical. Prophecy, healing, words of knowledge, miracles, tongues. These gifts are to be experienced more than studied, just to say that. In fact, even more than that, you know what? The Holy Spirit is a foretaste of heaven itself. Did you know that? So Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he's talking about heaven and he says, God has given us the Spirit as a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, the Spirit is the down payment, the first payment of heaven, the first taste of heaven to come. It's wonderful. And so in these times when we're worshipping or we're in prayer, when it feels like the veil, as someone once said to us, the veil between us and glory seems so thin those times when we're touching heaven, that's the activity of the Spirit. That's what God does. Hallelujah. And so for all of us, this is our incredible privilege, the outpouring the gift of the Spirit. And let me just say, praise God for every touch and taste of the Spirit that we have. We love the Spirit, don't we? We love every taste. I'm so grateful. But... There's always a but somewhere. But I want to throw this out to you as well. And it's this. This privilege, this wonderful access to the Spirit, this incredible gift poured out upon us, it still requires a response from us. Still requires a response from us. If we want to receive more of His presence and activity in our lives, then we do have a part to play. We do have a part to play, and it's this. And the part is this. It is this. It is to live as the temple of God and the house of God. All right? It's to live as that. It's to live as that. Paul says, don't you know, he says again, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. Now he's speaking to a church that's beginning to drift into all kinds of distractions and, and compromise if you read 1 Corinthians and uh, all kinds of sin. And so really what he's saying to the church is, hey, everybody, stop, stop, stop. We have a responsibility to be a house that the Spirit is happy to fill. That's our responsibility, to be a house that the Spirit is happy and eager to fill, and it's true. I came across a story that kind of explains this. So Sarah's going to come up and just read this little parable. It's like a true parable, and Sarah's so, so good at reading these things out. Off you go, Sarah. True parable, off you go. A few years ago, a British couple, Sandy and Burnus, accepted a call from their denomination to be missionaries in Israel. A house was provided for them in Jerusalem, 
And after they moved into their new home, they noticed that a dove had come to live in the eaves of the house. They were honoured to be living near Jerusalem and were particularly thrilled to have the dove come and live there. They considered it to be something of a confirmation that they were in the right place. Sandy noticed an unsettling pattern in the dove's behaviour, however. Every time a door slammed shut, or if there was a lot of noise in the house, or if they raised their voices, the dove would be disturbed and flutter off, sometimes not returning for some time. This worried Sandy as he felt they were in danger of frightening the dove off permanently, and with this in mind, he brought up the matter with his wife. Have you noticed that every time there's a lot of noise, or if we slam the door, the dove flies away, he asked. Yeah, and it makes me feel sad. I'm afraid the dove will fly away and never come back, she replied. Well, said Sandy, either the dove will adjust his behaviour to us, or if we really want to make sure we never lose him, we will have to adjust our behaviour to the dove. Thank you. Excellent. Just a nice little parable. But I think it's a great little parable. What it's really saying is this. How we order our lives does affect the presence of the Spirit in our house. It does have an impact. Because the Bible does teach that, you know what, I can, I have it within me, I have it within me to grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. There are scriptures. These are words from scriptures. I can grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is, by definition then, I can also be one who delights the Spirit and who can fan into flame the gift and presence of the Spirit. Wonderful. I can become a house he is happy to fill. And what Paul's really saying to the Corinthians is that's your calling to be that kind of house, a house where the dove isn't grieved or quenched, but he's happy to come and fill and overflow. And listen, in these days when the Spirit of God is doing so much in and around us, I don't know about you, but I want to excel in that. I want to excel in being a house where the Spirit has free reign and fills and overflows. Don't you? Don't you? And so I thought what I'd do in this last little third of my talk is just to mention a few key attitude shifts, you know, that can make all the difference and that can, that can, that can help us become that kind of house. So, so the first one is this. I don't want to throw this one out to you, and it's this. The first essential is, is thirst. Right? Thirst for the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is a biggie, by the way. Remember Jesus in John 7, shouting out above the crowd, he says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. And we know that verse goes on to say, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. In other words, a person who is thirsty for the Spirit is a house that is ready to be filled. Simple, really. And so I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you, how thirsty are you this morning? How, how genuinely thirsty are you? You see, I think this is a big issue because it's not something we automatically have. In fact, I'd argue these days that we need to fight for it. We need to fight for thirst. And I, I say that because these days I think our world is so saturated with competing stuff, isn't it? I mean, distractions and 
easy pleasures and varieties of entertainment and thrills. We have more of it around us these days than ever. I mean, let's face it, you can have any excitement or high, alcohol or drugs or the internet or the entertainment system will give it all to you. You don't have to leave home anymore. Once you had to go somewhere to sin, once you had to go somewhere to get some new entertainment, now it's all in your home. It's a click of a button and the whole world comes into your house. It's incredible. Isn't it astonishing what we're bombarded with? We can have any pleasure these days, any high, and it comes to our home. And, and, and some of it, I have to say, can be wonderful. It's not all bad. It's not that it's all bad. The trouble with it is that it can steal our appetite for God. I mean, it's not all bad because we can see, the, see Harry and Megan getting married. It's wonderful. It's not, not that it's all bad. It's that, it's that it can, though. It can. The sheer amount, the sheer kind can take away our thirst for God. You know, I heard someone compare our lives in today's world to a child who lives in a candy store. You know, lollies everywhere. Imagine a child, lollies all around them. You know, easy pleasures, quick highs, entertainment at your fingertips, easy purchases. But the trouble with lollies or sweets is that they promise instant gratification, but they don't actually feed you. Isn't that true? And worse, they take away your appetite for the main course. And any parent here will tell you that. You know, what's it like at home when your child gets to the dinner table and starts playing with the food? What's the first question you ask them? What have you been eating? What lollies were you eating before you came to the table? And that's what our age is full of. It's just full of tantalizing stuff, easy pleasures, easy entertainments, easy purchases, easy sin. And actually, in the end, if we're not careful, they can shrink our desire for God or for realities that are spiritual. They can shrink it. In fact, uh, there's a wonderful old quote I brought out years ago, uh, and this is C.S. Lewis speaking. He says this, It would seem our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying our desires have not become too great for God to fulfill. Actually, they're shrunk and become too small. We can get satisfied so easily with garbage sometimes, whether it's cheap pleasure or, or drink or porn or whatever it may be, when infinite joy is offered us. Infinite joy, the life of the Spirit, the foretaste of heaven, the love of God. That's what's offered to us. Folks, if we really want the dove to fill our house, to be at home with us, maybe we need to make a few choices and a few adjustments to nurture true thirst again. Maybe for you it's, it's really practical. Maybe for you it's simply turning the TV off a bit earlier or watching what you watch. Maybe it's put the smartphone down. You know, it's amazing that a little thing can take up all of our time. I see a few nods around the room. Put it down. <laughs> it's true. YouTube can waste a lot of our time. Don't hang around the internet. Maybe you just need to adjust. 
maybe even one or two characters you're hanging out with, you just maybe need to adjust. And look, for some of you, the truth is other things can take away your thirst too. Maybe just things like tiredness. Look around at some of the young families. Hey, we're just trying to survive. We're tired. It's hard. And you want us to be thirsty too? We're tired. Or preoccupation with the job. So again, I want to just ask you this morning, how thirsty are you? And if in your heart of hearts you're thinking, I'm not that thirsty or not as thirsty as I'd like to be, can I just encourage you? Because even realizing a lack of thirst is a work of grace. It means the Spirit is already knocking on the door of your heart and He wants to meet with you, He wants to fill you, He wants you to thirst again, He wants to help you make the changes. Wonderful. Thirst is one key essential shift. I'll just mention the second one and move on. The second one, of course, is faith. The Spirit loves faith. Faith that simply says, I believe you, I believe your promises, I receive you. That's the second one. And then the third one, and then we'll close with this, the third thing the Spirit loves is simply obedience or availability. Obedience. And please, I'm not, when I talk about obedience, I'm not talking about obedience to commands, thou shalt not or thou shalt. Right? That's actually the law. What I'm talking about is this. It's keeping in step with the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians. Keeping in step with the Spirit. All right. So what it is, is, is obedience to the Spirit, His promptings, His nudges, His convicting. The Spirit who says to you, forgive, for instance. Forgive. Forgive your husband. Don't give him the cold shoulder. Husbands, forgive your wife. Don't make her pay for your aggravation. Forgive. The Spirit who says, forgive your boss in the way he speaks to you, the way she treats you, the way he passed you over for promotion. Forgive. I'm talking about obedience to the Spirit who says, I put you in that office and that school because I want you to speak up and not be silent. I have people to reach through you. It's why I put you there. I put that person to work opposite you or down the corridor because I want you to speak with them. It's obedience. Or the Spirit who says, I'm speaking to you right now. I want you to give that amount and trust me to provide the rest. Obedience over our finances. Or, I want you to let go of that habit. It's killing you and it doesn't glorify me. Obedience to the Spirit. I'm talking about obedience to the Spirit who says, as Steve prompted us this morning, I'm giving you prophecies to bring. It's time to step up and bring them. There's a prophetic explosion on the way the temperature is going up and the pot is beginning to boil. You know what it's like to have that something in your heart. I think God has something for me to bring, but I don't want to. And your heart pounds and you shift on, the, on where you're standing and you've got sweaty palms. It's time to bring them. It's time to bring the prophetic. Or I gave you a calling, a vision, a dream, and you need to pursue it again. That's the spirit 
speaking again. Or how about this one? I don't want you to rush away when you pray. I want you to linger before me. I have more to speak to you. Obedience to the Spirit. I'm talking about the Spirit who says, Be holy, for I am holy. The Spirit of God loves obedience. And the bottom line is, you don't know what God will do with your obedience. One more story. I've just heard this story. Sarah's going to read it out to you. What God will do with your obedience. A man who lived on the outskirts of Birmingham became exceedingly depressed as a result of a series of traumas. Times were hard. He lost his job and his wife left him and took their children. A darkness spread all around and within him and he decided to end it all. As a last throw of the dice, he cried out to God, I'm going into town. If a man does not approach me in the main shopping centre and ask me if I would like to find God... I shall end my life there and then. Meanwhile, on the outskirts of Birmingham, a friend of mine was praying when he sensed the Holy Spirit moving on him in power. Through heat and shaking and strange words, this formed in his head. Go into the town centre and ask the first man you see if he would like to find God. My friend was not very keen on going into Birmingham city centre that day. He had no car, very little money, and wasting what he did have on two bus journeys chasing wild geese did not seem like a very good idea to him at the time. But the feeling grew stronger, and the Holy Spirit persisted, so without telling anyone else lest they think him a fool, he went, in his own eyes, a fool for Christ. When he came through the tunnel into the main shopping centre, a man was walking straight toward him, looking downcast but determined, as if he had some evil intent in mind. Excuse me, sir, asked my friend, but would you like to find God? The rest, as they say, is history. The man did find God, or perhaps it was God who found him. He did not commit suicide, and of course, because God initiated the encounter, the timing and the place were perfect. To God be the glory. (laughs) Thank you. You don't know what God will do with your obedience. And stories like that we know among us are happening all the time. God loves obedience. Paul said, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Folks, that's an astonishing privilege. The Old Testament saints would be astonished that we can do that in our day. But it requires a response to live as that temple to live as that house. To be a house the Spirit is happy and free to fill and overflow. Can you imagine a church full of people like that? Can you imagine the city around us affected by people like that? That's our calling. These days, I believe God is raising up those kinds of churches. And I'm believing that we are to be one of them. Let me ask you, how thirsty are you? Whereabouts is your faith? And are you available and up for a new season of obedience? Let's stand, shall we? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
just where you are now. Let's just forget about the person next to you. Let's just be aware of the fact that God, by his spirit, is here. Our faith is an experiential (coughs) faith. We can touch and taste him. How sweet is his love. Just for a moment or two, can I just ask you to forget the person next to you? If it's easier for you, just to bow your head or maybe close your eyes. It's you and God. Your inheritance is to be a house of the Spirit. Your entitlement is to have His presence in your life. question is, how thirsty are you, first of all? And even as you're standing there, if you're thinking, I, I, I would love to be more thirsty than I am. I know there is more of his presence for me. I read the stories. I, I hear the testimonies. Or... Once I knew what that felt like. But somewhere my thirst is gone. Listen, if that's you this morning, then it is a work of grace that you recognize it. And the Spirit is knocking on the door of your heart. And I would encourage you, even now where you stand, to respond to Him. And if that is you, maybe you might want to just raise your hands to God where you stand. Bring yourself before him and say, Holy Spirit, come and fill my house. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Come, pour your spirit into my heart. Pour the Father's love into my heart. (coughs) Gift me with those wonderful gifts. Give me a passion to know you and a yearning to lay hold of you for all that you laid hold of me for. Right now, you can do that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you come right across the room. We thank you that through Jesus, you've made us to be temples for you to fill. And so we come And we ask you to fill us afresh and to put within us an incredible thirst for you. A thirst that will be far greater than the pull of all those other things out there that clamour for my attention. A thirst that would become almost like a fire in my soul. A passion to know you and to know your presence in my life. Even now, Lord, come and make me a house where you are happy to fill and overflow. Father, where I need to bring changes, Lord, please forgive me. I repent. I turn away. And Lord, I set my course afresh this morning to preserve this house for you. To open all the doors, the attics, the bedrooms, the lounges, the the hidden places of my life. 
and say, come and fill me now. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray, even now. Now allow him to do that very thing. More, Lord. More. 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 close to his heart of course he'll come more Lord more, more, more just around the room just see folks reaching out Spirit will meet with you thank you Lord Thank you, Lord. For some of you, even as you're standing there, you're sensing God put his finger on maybe this area or that area where you know obedience is required. Just quietly now, while you're standing before him, say, Lord, I, I respond. I'll talk to that person. I'll forgive that one over there. Pick up that vision you gave me years ago. Dust it off and run with it again. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Just where you are, if that's you, just continue to raise your hands before him. There may be others around you who are just aware of you doing that then I would encourage you just to step alongside, lay your hand gently on the shoulder and pray for more of the Spirit to meet with that person. So either you're receiving now or you're just looking around thinking, who can I serve? Who can I stand with? Who can I pray for more? The word that Steve brought earlier about the prophetic, you know You've longed to step out, but you've been afraid. Now's the time to raise your hands. Steve will look around. Steve will impart what he's got. And others who are prophetic, look around and pray for those people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 